And you, I, I love that we can start out with this game. And this is partly why I wanted to have you on this week, because you have been you've been driving the pit train this year. And that's a dangerous job because you know how unsteady those tracks are. Oh, I know. I'm like Bill Murray in Groundhog Day where I'm letting, <laughs> I'm letting the groundhog do the driving. Um, this, is, this is a terrible idea on my part. It is going to, I, I've already made my peace with the fact that it's going to come back to haunt me. Welcome to NACC Podcast Week, Checks Watch 3 edition. Are we into three now? Yes. Okay. Some teams haven't played. Some teams have... Played twice. It's really kind of wild. Uh, David Hale from ESPN uh, joining it's, us. To- it's forever week zero at Virginia Tech. So that's we've apparently. Got yeah. Yeah. That's I, I like it's funny. I, I mean, we're we're to Friday now and all week long, especially here locally. I'm like, I, you know, because NC State plays them. It's like, I guess they're going to play them on Saturday. It would seem that they are. I mean, they're not going to wait till Saturday to say anything, right? Uh, one would assume that at this point, yeah. I mean, I suppose there's a, uh, I don't know. There's there's perhaps the possibility that you know, a bunch of tests come back negative from today. I mean, I don't know. Notre Dame apparently sent guys out who were positive last week. So who knows? You know, there's no rules anymore. <laughs> we've just, just we've, yeah, we've given this a we've given this a blanket statement of this was a big success everybody's coming back to play um never mind the uh 35 games canceled or postponed behind the curtain it's all good is that what we're at now 35 i have no i don't know i just making up numbers at this point but it's believable that's the important part it's believable <laughs> It really is. I that t- it took me a minute. I was like, that seems that seems right. It yeah. feels like it's been a lot. Um, um, it's definitely you know at least half the teams have had a game that has been postponed or canceled, whether it's because they had issues or their opponent did. But yeah, it's I think where the last count I had was like thirty three teams had been impacted by had a game impacted by the virus at this point. You know, again, I don't. We haven't seen three of the Power Five leagues actually play at all yet. So, um, yeah, yeah, great success. <laughs> it's. I, I mean, I've talked about this before. I don't know how they're going to have a college football playoff at this point. Like, realistically, how that works and how that looks, I, I don't understand how. I don't know. I mean. At a certain point, we're going to have to stop pretending that like this is normal, I guess, and and maybe uh, this, recognize that's, that's exactly yeah. where we're at. Is all we have decided to do is just pretend this is normal. Like no one seems to be viewing this through a prism of reality. And and look, I, I'm not complaining that we have college football. That's right. great. But if you're if you are looking at this and saying we're going to have uh, a season that crowns a champion like every other season. You're wrong. It's not happening that way. However it happens will be, you know, we may crown a champion at the end, but good Lord knows it will not have been through any sort of rational, realistic, equal means. Uh, and you might want to say, Hey, we're playing football games. That means all of this is working out. Okay. And no, that's wrong too. Like the amount of COVID positive tests on these rosters is, uh, 
not encouraging. The number of games that have been canceled and postponed is not encouraging. This is not a sign of success. This is a sign of we are putting our heads down and moving forward, damn the consequences. And if you want to look at the season through that uh, uh, prism, through this idea of like a war of attrition, and all we have to do is just make it to an end point, then okay, yeah, great success. But anything short of that, I think you are trying to put lipstick on a pig here. It is, uh, it is definitely not how anyone would have drawn up this season. I don't think it constitutes success. I think it constitutes... I don't know, perseverance, if you want to put a good word on it. Yeah, it's 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 just weird to me because like I, I, I guess I would feel I mean, not that they care about how I feel, but they would feel I would feel better about things if like they just sort of admitted like, hey, we really can't probably have a college football playoff this year. And I realize like how much money that would mean losing, and that's probably why we're doing this, but like I just don't like the idea that we're essentially incentivizing coaches to go against protocols if we do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's well, and part of the problem is we don't even know what the protocols are. They won't even tell us that part. Like they won't even tell us, you know, we're not there's zero transparency here, right? So it'd be one thing to have the playoff and have sort of problematic incentives if there was some real leadership or third party oversight. There's not any of that. Right, and, you just have to uh, take their word for it. Yeah, and, and in some cases, not even their like they won't even give us their word. They're just telling us stop asking, you know. And uh, you know, I, I, I've heard numerous people, and I think this is sort of problematic on its face because we're talking about amateur sports here. But I've heard numerous people refer to this as an experiment. Like we haven't done this before as a society. Like what we're asking these guys to do, we don't know what the outcome is going to be, and never have. And anybody who says they do is lying. Um, and that's, you know, even if you want to accept that at face value, uh, the problem that I really have with it is in an experiment, you calculate results, you track data, you compare it over time, you, you learn from the experiment. The whole point of this is to stick our head in the sand and not learn from the experiment. There's no data being tracked. There's no, uh, information being shared. There's no learning from the experiment. It is persevering through whatever happens. And that's that to me is the biggest failure here. I mean, I, I um, am not one to be, you know, Pollyanna-ish about this whole thing. Yes, it's about the money. Of course it is. Uh, but guys do want to play. And, yeah, and the money's not nothing. I mean, we see the people who are getting furloughed and laid off here yep. are not coaches making $10 million a year. There are people making 40 grand a year. Uh, so I, I'm not, I don't even have a problem with the sort of perverse incentive structure. Yes. I think we need to really drastically rethink how college sports and particularly college football works uh, at a macro and micro level in general. The, the, the virus has shown a light on that, but that's a separate conversation whether than whether they should or shouldn't be playing. Um, my problem is if they are going to play, you need to find value beyond just the money that may or may not be coming in. I mean, the, 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 the fact that we're having games where there's crowds that are clearly not worried about social distancing, the fact that, um, you know, schools are like, well, we don't want you to tailgate. We're not going to enforce that, but we don't want you to do it. Like, it, that's just the tip of the iceberg of terrible decision making that's going on. And the fact that, like, 
we don't have schools saying, okay, well, let's, let's really closely track um, who gets positive, how we're doing contact tracing. We need to share that information, make it transparent and public. And frankly, my argument has been all along that, that doing so actually helps the schools because yeah. right now, what's the single biggest impediment to playing games? It's contact tracing. And if we could do a better, you know, had better data on who is who contact tracing impacts, who should be impacted by it, who gets sick and who doesn't, um, when do they get sick, how long into contact tracing do positives come back, how often do contact tracing uh, result, in, does contact tracing result in a future positive test. Those are big bits of information that could potentially allow you to make the case that instead of a 14-day quarantine, we have a five-day quarantine, and then games aren't getting canceled left and right. But they won't do that because it is inherent to the DNA of college football to not give any information about anything. Yeah, it's really kind of crazy. And I mean, it blew me away too that like the most, the biggest takeaway about like the Ed Orgeron comment where like almost their entire team had COVID was like, well, he didn't say, and he hopes they don't get it again. was like, well, he didn't say that they couldn't get it again. He's not saying that. I'm like, did you miss the part where the entire team had COVID? (laughs) Almost. Yeah. It's, um, and look, we live in a society where a significant portion of people does not care about this virus, does not believe it, does not take it seriously, thinks it's a hoax, thinks it's a uh, whatever. Um, that within the landscape of college football, uh, there is a significant portion that views it through that same prism should not be a surprise. We, we I know, Sports are, are in many ways a reflection of society. Um, and while I have the utmost respect for the vast majority of, of coaches that I have worked with and that I think many of them are very smart guys. Um, we're not talking about like PhDs in, in immunotherapy and microbiology here. They're football coaches. Um, so I guess it shouldn't entirely be a shock that, that this is how it's working out. I'm just, again, I'm, I'm, I'm less concerned or less upset that it is, that it has been, problematic because I think we all saw that coming. The fact of the matter is, is that we all saw it coming and we're still not trying to learn anything from it. Yeah. I mean, it's weird that the bar is where it is, but I've been like somewhat surprised at how well some of the coaches that maybe I didn't expect to handle it well handled it. Um, yeah. I mean, <laughs> would I have put Sonny Dykes at the top of my list of guys who were going to have programs with like thousands of tests and no positives? Uh, probably not. Would I put Bronco Mendenhall there? Yeah, that probably makes sense. But the other thing is like uh, uh, Mike Bowen, the, the AD at, at USC, said last night that they were going to uh, go and try and take a look at, at what some of the programs that had had success were doing so that they could try to mimic it at USC. And people were like, wow, that's that's a bold statement. And I'm like, that's a bold statement. That's what everybody should be doing. You should be on the phone with Bronco Mendenhall asking how the hell he has kept positives at zero. That should be the 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 standard. Um, when Eli Jacobitz said at Missouri, like, we're going to release our information because we think it's a public good. And everybody's like, wow, that's, that's quite a statement. And I'm like, no, that's what everybody should be doing. It's insane how... how we react to the the reasonable courses of action with utter shock and awe, and then 
you know, when it's at Ogeron saying our whole team has had COVID, we're just like, well, yeah, you know, that happens. Yeah, it's 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 pretty crazy at this point. Uh, we could certainly talk about the weirdness of this all day. Um, we, at weirdness at best is the way I could describe it. But I feel like let's I want to start off with the I guess what would be the game of the weekend in the ACC where Louisville is traveling to Pittsburgh as we actually get into get into the games a little bit as we pretend to go forward as if everything is fine. And uh, Louisville fell out of my top 25 this week. But to be fair, my final top 25 vote as an AP voter without the Big Ten in it, I just went kind of crazy and just put everybody in there. Apparently, I gave UTSA their first ever top 25 vote. And <laughs> Something to be proud of. Put that up on the, uh, on, on the, the old bulletin board. Yeah, they, I got a lot of positive uh, affirmation for that, so I was happy about it. I just figured, you know what, this is my last week without without having these teams in it. I'm going to go a little crazy, because this season is crazy. And thankfully, I didn't get any pushback, so that was fun. But And they're the Roadrunners, which is also fun. I agree. I, yeah. Uh, but Louisville, uh, they have kind of the issues I think we thought they would, in terms of the defense not being great, and... You, I, I love that we can start out with this game, and this is partly why I wanted to have you on this week because you have been, you've been driving the pit train this year, and that's a dangerous job because you know how unsteady those tracks are. Oh, I know. I'm like Phil Murray in Groundhog Day, where I'm letting <laughs> I'm letting the groundhog do the driving. Um, this is this is a terrible idea on my part. It is going to. I, I've already made my peace with the fact that it is going to come back to haunt me. Uh, my question is whether it haunts me this week or not. I, I don't know. I think, you know, Louisville, as you said, I, I think they are who we thought they were. They're a very good offense. I mean, they still hung 34 on Miami. And I think, you know, if, if Mikhail Cunningham or Malik Cunningham or whatever he's going by today, um, you know, gets the pass to Marshawn Ford about six inches higher in the end zone on that early drive, that maybe that's a slightly different ball game. But they're not, they're not a team that is going to – slow down a ton of good offenses because it is a work of progress on defense. On the other hand, Pittsburgh is not a good offense. So um, this is sort of uh, strength on weakness for both sides. I think, you know, they're, they're sort of the opposites of each other. Pittsburgh is as good a defense, I think, as there is in the conference, but not great uh, offensively. They're a team that could probably do just enough on offense to win games if their defense plays lights out. And Louisville is a team that can do just enough on defense to win a bunch of games if their offense plays lights out. But you can't have uh, either side slip up. And so I think it'll be interesting to see how that matchup works out. I mean, Louisville, though, they're, you know, the front half of their schedule is tough. They had, obviously, a better than we expected Miami team. Pittsburgh, who I think is pretty good. Georgia Tech's coming up next that, that's been frisky so far, Notre Dame after that, the back end of their schedule is much more maneuverable. So I wonder how much we're going to see, like, you know, a, a two and five or two and four Louisville team um, kind of through the first half that ends up finishing hot. I, I don't know. I, I tend to, especially this year, I think you, we shouldn't put a ton into any one game. But I, I look at this one as, um, you know, we're looking at two teams that have real strengths that clearly have some flaws too. And I think we'll get to see which one of them is capable of kind of managing their flaws into contender status and which one of them is going to be that team that 
at the end of the year we had not really paid any significant attention to, but say, so, oh, they turned out not to be that bad. Yeah, that's probably fair. Um, so I guess you're, so you're not all that high on Pitt's offense? Uh, well, you know, look, I, <laughs> Kenny Pickett is who he is. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, I like he's Keanu. I, I, I like Keanu Reeves, and if you put him in Bill and Ted, he's great. Or if you put him in uh, John Wick, he's great. Now, would I cast Keanu Reeves in like The Godfather? No, of course not. You're, as long as you're not asking Kenny Pickett to be something that he's not, I think he can work. The offensive line has been better. I still don't love the ground game there. They're not great yeah. at running the football. They've dropped a ton of passes already this year, which is just. I don't know how you fix the amount of drops that they've had as a receiving core, but they've got talent on the outside. Um, it's, it is an offense that if everything is going well for them is certainly going to be competitive, but I mean, I'll take Louisville's offense 10 times out of 10 against Pittsburgh. It's just a matter of, I take Pittsburgh's defense 10 times out of 10 over Louisville. So here we are. Yeah. I, I love that you made the bill and Ted reference. We're, we're rewatching that so that we can watch the new one. Um, and my husband actually had never seen Bogus Journey and we watched that last night and he spent half of the movie just looking at me like, what is this? (laughs) (laughs) What is happening? (laughs) Yeah. That's, I didn't like Bogus Journey the first time I saw it because I was like, what is this? Uh, but it was, it's much better upon second viewing, I think. But I enjoyed, I enjoyed the new one. Uh, if your expectations are sufficiently this is much like Kenny Pickett, actually. This works out really well. And that if your expectations are sufficiently low, yes, there's a decent chance that he will exceed it. And I feel the same about this Bill and Ted movie. And not to go too crazy with the comparisons, but I think Pitt is like the J.R. Smith um, of ACC football in that like he could he does things on the court sometimes that you're like, wow, that's amazing. Like, that's really good. He's He's so good at basketball. And then sometimes he does things that you go, what are you like? Are you even present mentally like what are you doing right now and like i feel like Pitt is the only team in the acc that i feel like could legit let a team go entirely down the field through defensive penalties <laughs> um yeah that's i wouldn't surprise me i mean that's the beauty of Pitt. this is why i think i like Pitt so much as i have uh like this real sense of of kinship with their fan base which is so enthusiastic but also yeah, so like beaten down like they as an as like somebody who grew up an eagles fan the uh the understanding that like anything's possible but that isn't necessarily a good thing like i think that's that's how pitts pitts fans feel as well it's like uh god we could be really good this weekend or Good Lord knows the absolute worst could happen. Anything's out there. Yeah, it's just very unpredictable. Um, uh, Georgia Tech, Syracuse. Okay. Uh, well, well, Syracuse, yeah. if you're going to score an offensive, uh, more than one offensive. Well, how many offensive touchdowns do they end up with? Um, uh, my prediction that they wouldn't score one until October, uh, sadly, came to an well, end. Well, uh, you, you, Rex Culpepper had magic hair. Uh, for one throw, at least. Uh, how long? If that's repeatable, I don't know. Um, I <laughs> I did not think Syracuse was going to be very good this year. They, I think, struck me as one of those teams that was probably going to be most impacted by all of the realities of this offseason. And, and, you know, they were taking days off during camp. They had a bunch of guys 
uh, opt out. This is just not a very good football team. Um, you know, the question to me, I think, as you said, if they're going to, you know, score, let alone win a football game, this has probably got to be it. I don't know that this is a manageable situation over this season. If they don't get this one, I don't really see where they're going to get a, a conference win. Um, and, and I think maybe the bigger question, because you've still got at least one more year with him, is, is, is Tommy DeVito salvageable at this point? I mean, dude's been sacked almost 60 times. start of last year is it even is that even a fixable situation now and i you know they've been they don't have a good offensive line there's no doubt about that but he's also gotten sacked at a much higher rate than their pressure rate allowed should suggest i think you know he's a little bit in that james blackman camp of like i see where the talent is i get why people like him why coaches want to start him but maybe he's just been hit too many times to be salvaged at this point. Um, you kind of have to root for guys like that, but I don't know. I think the jury is definitely very much out, and this is this is not just like a winnable game for them. It is an absolute must-win game for them where things can get very ugly this year. And it's far from a gimme because Georgia Tech, plucky. Yeah. I think that's yeah. the best way to describe them. They are indeed plucky. Um it's uh, it's that ATL spirit. I, it's hard to know exactly what to make based on on last week because UCF's pretty good and can definitely hang some points. And, and Georgia Tech, for their you know to their credit, was in that game throughout. Yeah. Um, but you know, this is still anybody who thought that the Florida State win was a well, see, they're ready to contend now. I mean, this was always going to be a work in progress team this year. This is. The, the job that Jeff Collins had when he got there was immense. He, he's got pieces now. That's great. I, I think they're still a little ways away from having a full team. And if your expectations or your hope for Georgia Tech was that they get to five wins this year, that's massive progress. I, I hope that a week one win over Florida State didn't alter people's expectations to the level that they don't appreciate genuine progress if they don't win seven or eight games this year. I think this is... It's, it's got to be a step forward season, not a step all the way to the finish line season. Yeah. And I mean, Georgia Tech is an eight point favorite. <laughs> That's, oh, Syracuse. oh, poor Dino. And yeah. I like Dino so much personally. I talked about this last week. Like, I like him very much as a, as a human being. And I hate that this is he's going to go out like this. But it would seem that he is indeed going to go out like this. And it's not great. It's why you got to get while the getting's good. It's a stepping stone job. <laughs> Most of them are. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I hope I'm wrong. Believe me, but it doesn't look very good for him. Speaking of not looking good, though. Oh, four o'clock. We've got Duke at Virginia. Duke. That was bad. Um. Now, that I, I don't want to take anything away from Boston College necessarily here because, like, I think, especially locally, we, we, we do that. Like, I'm not saying Boston College is good or not. I have no idea. I doubt that they're going to be amazing regardless. But, like, they still played really well and they deserve a lot of credit, I think, like, for Jeff Halfley to do that and have them that well prepared. And they, they played really well in that game, especially in the second half. More the second half than the first one. But, like, Duke... Oh, just, it's not good. Things are not going well in Durham right now. 
Yeah. Uh, it's, I think you look at Duke and the question is where did the offensive skill talent go? Because, yeah. you know, this was, you know, I, I, they didn't have the, a ton of NFL caliber guys, even during the better years. I mean, that that's true. But they had guys who could play at the next level. I mean, Jamison Crowder's had himself a really nice career at the next level. Lincoln Tomlinson was a, a first rounder. Um, you know, they've had guys that, that could make enough plays to win. You know, they weren't going to go out and beat Clemson, but they could beat half the league. They were they were at least on par with that. And it's just devoid of anything that resembles uh, an explosive play offense. They just don't have it and haven't for a couple of years now. And the thing is, nobody, I don't care what kind of talent you have, nobody can consistently have like these, you know, I guess unless you're Army or Navy or somebody running the option, these like 15 play march down the field, you know, six yards at a time drives. It just doesn't happen that way. You've got to be able to pick up some chunk plays and Duke just doesn't do it. They don't do it. And look, they've, they've actually moved the ball okay between yes. the 20s this year. Um, they just, you get into where the field shrinks down some and they don't have anybody that wins matchups. And so you're looking at a team that I think is what one touchdown on six red zone trips or something like that so far. It's they're just not. They have more red zone turnovers than touchdowns. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) That's bad. That's bad. It's real bad. uh, Look, the defense is pretty good. And I thought that they played the two best O lines in the ACC and maybe in the country uh, in Boston College and Notre Dame so far. And that their defensive pass rush still got after it. So there's there's a lot to like. Um, if you're not looking at the, at the offense in the red zone, you know, but if I'm David Cutcliffe, I'm looking at it and I say, all right, well, as problems go, is this fixable? Do we have a way of fixing this? And it might be about trying to get more creative. I mean, he always, this is a team, you know, during their, their best years always had that sort of Thomas Cirk type of guy who, you know, he wasn't, you know, you put him in at yes. quarterback and he opened some things up in the red zone. Maybe they need to think about sort of subbing out the QB with somebody a little more mobile that can do that in the red zone. Um, get creative because the red zone is the difference between, you know, were they going to beat Notre Dame? I, probably not, but they could have been a lot more competitive in that game, and they certainly could have beaten Boston College if they could have changed sort of the tenor of what happened in the red zone. This game, on the other hand, is one that I think they absolutely have a chance to win. They shouldn't be completely out-talented in if they can figure out some ways to, to, to get into the end zone instead of the, the debacles that have happened in, in plus territory. Gunnar Holmberg is technically, you know, he's a dual threat guy, but I mean, they've had, I mean, he hasn't, like you said, like they just haven't had those types of packages lately. He hasn't been subbing him out. And I know he's coming off an ACL, but he's supposed to be okay now. So you would think if you're going to throw any wrinkle in, it's, you know, now's the time. And, and I, yeah, I just, I don't know what to make of them and he's got to figure something out. And he's, he's been, he's been honest about this. Cutcliffe has, I think, you know, the head coach essentially having to become, you know, head COVID manager, like we talked about, in addition to taking on the play calling with sort of the limited skill guys he has at his disposal, which is its own problem, by the way. And that's a problem that's on Cutcliffe. Um, Like it's not, you know, it's put a lot on him and, and I don't know that he's able to handle all of it. I think most of us wouldn't be able to, but, I mean, there's there's definitely frustration here. And I realize the thought of saying like David Cutcliffe is on any sort of a hot seat sounds insane. And and it is insane for this year, for sure. 
like that's insane for this year. Like nobody, some coaches, some teams will probably fire their coach, I guess, because college football is what it is. Right. But I don't think most coaches will be fired this year, regardless of what happens. So I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong on that one, but I, I think there's just frustration with like kind of the way this program and and the offense has kind of stagnated. Yeah. And what you can't, uh, you know, again, Duke is, is never going to hire a coach better than David Cutcliffe. Um, I think we all are aware that he what he has done for that program yes. is is immensely important. But what you can't have happen is that you get the program into uh, you know out of the doldrums and into a point where people have legitimate expectations and then fall back again. You know, it's one thing to have a bad year or two, and, and that's going to happen at a place like Duke because they're not going to bring in five stars every year. Um, but you can't regress to the point that you've got to start all over with that rebuilding project again. It, it needs to be a thing that, um, yes, there are going to be bumps in the road, but that it is a sustainable model over the long term. And, and that's if you if you get into you know missing a bowl game three or four straight years, this is what happens. You're, you're not you've got to go back to, to square one. And I think that's the danger if you're Duke right now is you don't want to get back to you know 2009 Duke. You need to. You, you can have a, a four or five win season and say like, all right, well, we just didn't quite have the pieces this year, but we're, we're addressing it. We're moving in the right direction. We'll be back next year. You string two or three of those together in a row, and then that's a, a different conversation. Yeah, I, I, and just the things that I think you knew Duke for under Cutcliffe, which is like, yes, they had an offense, like you said, with the skill guys that were, you know, either NFL caliber or, or at least on the fringe of it and would throw in some trick play wrinkles from time to time. And they had competent special teams and they didn't beat themselves. Like none of those things are currently hallmarks of this Duke program. And it's kind of a problem because they got, they've got no margin for error as it is. And, right. you know, to, to have some of the penalties they had and then, you know, they're, they're getting demoralized too. I, you could see the defense. That's, that's part of what happens to them. It's like, if they know their offense isn't going to score, they don't give up, but like mentally you do see that shift and that's. Yeah. Well, you got to play differently. If you think that, you know, every play is the, the difference between winning and losing, you, you start handling it differently. And I think that you can't, it's a level of pressure being put on one side of the ball that, that is not, again, not a sustainable model. And great news for Duke is they'll play a Virginia team against which they have done really poorly um, over the last, I think, I I think the last time they beat them was 2014. I think I have that right. And they've had some of their worst offensive performances against Bronco Mendenhall's defense. So not good. And then, you know, Virginia is a team that, you know, I'm starting to see some Virginia fans that I know talk about like, Hey, you know, we return a lot and people should maybe be higher on us. And I went on uh, the streaking the lawn podcast yesterday And I get where that's coming from. But part of my thing with Virginia is this is not about like what they have returning or respect for Bronco Mendenhall, of which I have both. It's the fact that they won a lot of games that probably could have gone either way last year. And I think a lot of that had to do with Bryce Perkins. And I think that this is coming from like my respect for him more so than like a disrespect for what they've built there, which I have I I think has been great. Yeah, I mean, and this this sort of reminds me of like what we were just talking about with Duke, as I could see Virginia sort of having that slip back transition year, but I don't think it undoes the no foundation that was built there. I mean, it's 
again, everything about this year is off. And, and we've talked a little bit about, you know, which coaches have done the best job of, of managing the virus. And I think clearly Bronco Mendenhall is at the top of that list. But he's been the first to say, like, my job has effectively become COVID coach, not head coach. And that's, I, I, it would not surprise me if the result of that is seeing a team that is not as well prepared on the field. Um, and that's going to sound like a knock on Bronco. I actually think it's commendable and applause worthy, but that is not really where our priorities as college football fans tend to be. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And I mean, Brennan Armstrong, I think will be fine. You know, I think they'll be fine. I, I would, I'll, I'll actually be surprised if they don't win this game, but that's partially an indictment of where I think Duke is right now, more so than um, being super high on Virginia. Um, but we'll see. Um, <laughs> We shall see. So it, I'll be curious to see how they look too, for sure. And, and you know, maybe they do have a chance to, because they have a nice defense. To have a returning offensive line that's pretty solid is certainly a commodity in this year's ACC. So, you know, a lot of bad O-line play. A lot of it. Well, that's, <laughs> we live in a, a conference with nothing but really, so... Yeah, seriously. I was going to say like, and that gets us to Texas State at Boston College at 6 p.m. I really don't want to say almost anything about this game. No, um, let's not talk about it at all. I just, uh, yeah. Except for the fact that like, can you imagine if you could give Boston College's O-line to like a team that could really use it? It'd be fun. They, uh, I think they're going to be, I thought they were going to be pretty good coming into the year. I, I Not like great, but they've got more talent on that team than people realized. Um Clearly, and, yes. And, uh, Djokovic is a legitimate player at quarterback, which I think I the jury's really still out impressed. on that. But he was, I was yeah, impressed he with was, him. Um, and again, Duke's defense is no joke. So I thought it was a solid opening performance. We'll see now that folks have some tape on him, how that changes. I don't think it's going to change much against Texas State. But, uh, um, you know, the fight in armadillos, uh, which I don't know what Texas State actually is. Bobcats, maybe? I don't know. I, they will that looks, always be the it arm- looks that way, yes. They will always be the armadillos to me uh, based on the movie Necessary Roughness. So that's, again, we could talk more about Necessary Roughness. but yeah. They should do, They more teams should embrace the weird mascots. I don't understand I why everybody wants to be some brand of cat. I, right. I just... Minor league football it. has it right, where they just yes. they go they're they've turned they've turned into the skid on ridiculous names, and I think it's great. Yeah, and Je- Jeff Halfley definitely deserves plenty of. I, you might have said this too, but he he deserves plenty of the COVID praise. They've had one case, yes, I guess, exactly, total. Yeah. Um, and that was way back when. And I guess that that case came from home. And from what I understand, with Duke, they're not necessarily releasing numbers or anything, but. Um, They've done pretty well with it as well. Um, I think they're at least the only school I know of locally that I think their guys are living in their own rooms right now just to try to really minimize contact as best they can. And um, I, they had a few cases, I think, when they got back to school, but that was it. Um, and they've gotten it under control. And Duke as a school has taken it, I think, pretty seriously. And uh, so that's good for you, David Cuckliffe. You've definitely done a good job with that part. And like you said, that maybe needs to be the priority here anyway. So, um, yeah. Oh, 
Oh yes, Florida State, Miami. Let's get extra weird. I love, I love the angle uh, your colleague Andrea Adelson took with this. Like, um, I haven't read her piece yet, but in a year that's super weird, like, why not get the consistency of the weirdness that is always Florida State, Miami, uh, to give us some feeling of normalcy? I love that. Yeah. yeah. No. I mean, and I, uh, I think that's the beauty of this game is that um, it will be. It will be Florida State, Miami, for whatever that is. There will be random fistfights, uh, bad kicks. Um, you know, who knows? I, Andrea is was texting me earlier saying like, "This just feels like a game Miami's going to lose." And I was like, "Don't worry, Miami is definitely going to lose some stupid game they shouldn't." I just can't but wrap my head around it being yeah. this one because <laughs> uh, Florida State is just not good and. Of all the not goodness about Florida State, <laughs> this this week with poor Mike Norvell uh, out, and I, I just it's gonna if, if Florida State wins this one, um, make uh, Chris Thompson the coach of the year in the ACC as he fills in for Mike Norvell. Well, I, that's not going to do Mike Norvell any favors if they won this game without him. Let's just yeah. Let's yeah. Well, hey, look, he's been. He's he's he will he will be the best uh, Zoom coach of the year, I think. He should do the Hugh Freeze thing and just you know. I I <laughs> very rarely do you get to use the the phrase. He should be more like Hugh Freeze. Yes, and mean it right. <laughs> right. And be and be accurate in what we're saying and not disingenuous. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, no, I mean I I don't know. It's it's. How did nobody else get held out is kind of a question I also had with. Uh, that's a, uh, again, this is a great question. Uh, we could probably spend the next hour on me just talking about how sort of questionable the whole idea of contact tracing, which again is not being done by a third party. It is just being done by the, some, you know, grad assistant working at the school. Um, it's uh, yeah, I, I have, Serious, serious questions about that. Like, even if you don't have players that are being held out, how is there not another person on your coaching staff? Like, you, Mike right. Norvell, you're telling me Mike Norvell has not had face-to-face -face contact with anyone else on that team. Well, it would explain a lot, wouldn't it? <laughs> That's a good point. All right. I Fair. mean, you got I'm me. just saying. Yeah. Like, Mike, the fact that y'all don't have anybody else being held out doesn't look as good for you as you think it does. I'm just <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> just throwing that out there, because that means you haven't had face to face contact with like a whole lot of people associated with your team. And again, while it would explain a lot, it's not very it's not ideal. Not what you want in your head coach. Right. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Miami has looked pretty good. They obviously obviously should win the game, but we've certainly seen weirder things happen, and I certainly would not bet any amount of money. I mean, I don't know why people would bet on any, any of these COVID games anyway. Like to me, <laughs> well, I'm the idiot who keeps doing it anyway. So, are you really? Well, just something to do. I, you know, I'm a glutton for punishment. Um, but yeah, this was this is one I will probably recommend staying away from. Uh, that would be my my takeaway on this. I do not recommend, um, yeah, really, I know it's cliche and overused the whole rivalry game. So the records out the window, I, I don't think that's necessarily true, but I've seen enough Florida state Miami to know that, uh, it's, I won't exactly say throw the records out because the better team usually wins, but, um, 
they do approach this game a little differently than they approach every other game. The better team does usually win. You're right. But the, the, and sometimes the clearly worse team usually makes it closer than it should be. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I, I think that is, that is true. Yeah. So I don't know that 11 is a number I'd be willing to, to play. It's a big, it's a big number. You put that number into single digits and, and maybe we're talking, but 11 is not a number I'm, I'm interested in dealing with them. Yeah, so that I mean it'll be fun no matter what. I'm I'm looking forward to well at least attempting to watch it. I don't know how many screens I'm going to have at my disposal because I'm going to be at my parents' uh, beach house. So well, I know I'm not going to have my normal setup and I do have to watch NC State Virginia Tech for work. So with my uh good friends at the ACC network uh like the Spurtle lady who has become my obsession. <laughs> it does make me happy to see how obsessed you are about it. So that's yeah. I mean, she's just out there unabashedly saying the word spurtle, never having it come on the screen. <laughs> uh, I, this is this is its own conversation. I don't know. It really I don't know is. This is a, a world I could world. do an entire podcast episode on the spurtle. <laughs> um, I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm just saying that. Um, Maybe December. That's a right, December-ish yeah, okay. type of podcast, like a Christmassy time. Uh, we did an ACC Network commercials podcast, uh, Caroline Darney and I did during that time. So I could maybe just, maybe I can try to get her as a guest. Um, I, I have what so else many is she doing? <laughs> yeah. Well, one of her cookbooks is um, Authentic Jamaican Cuisine. Oh, I do like Jamaican cuisine. Uh, it's interesting that she would claim that, but that's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> Oh, so yeah, I will be seeing plenty of the Spurtle during the NC State Virginia Tech game on the ACC network at eight o'clock. Um, I continue to think the someone at the ACC is trolling NC State a little bit by giving them all these night games when they can't watch. <laughs> um, I do. Yeah, I do. If nothing else, I, I don't, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I do like to think that there is someone in the ACC that is just screwing around with NC State constantly. Between that and giving them an entirely coastal slate, like, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I, I do lean a little bit that way, that someone's messing with them a little bit. Um, oh, you don't like the Atlantic Division? Well, here's the coastal for you. Okay. <laughs> um, although, like, okay, we've talked about COVID and, and how these teams are handling it and... I mean, Virginia Tech now is we're into week three. They haven't played yet. Um, I guess they're playing <laughs> as of now. We shall see. Uh, I don't. Know. How, how great! How great was Justin Fuentes' Monday press conference? Though, like, have you ever seen a guy who just like like if you were playing poker against him, you would know exactly what cards he was holding at all times. Like he was just. Uh, <laughs> it was this level of like. He was trying to decide whether this was comedy or tragedy. It was, uh, it was, it was beautiful. Yeah, I, I got, so, I saw the clip of him talking about like, I guess we'll be able to play. I don't know. And I was like, I know that he's not known for having like a bubbly personality, but like, is he okay? Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, how yeah. bad is this? And is yeah. or is he is he trying to play it some the other way of uh, like uh, making NC State think that things are worse than they are? I honestly yeah, don't know. I, that's a good question. Maybe he's playing like three dimensional chess here, five dimensional. What, how, how many dimensions are you supposed to play in chess? I don't know. I don't, he's, I, he's, he's at the next. He's at the next level of it. Whatever it is. 
I, I mean, I tend to think with like some of his decision making we've seen thus far in his tenure that that's not the case. Not not nothing against his coaching ability. I'm just saying, like in terms of the PR, um, yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't strike me as like a a master Zen strategist, reverse psychology kind of guy. Yeah, no, and, and I mean, I I I put it out there to Virginia Tech people because I was like, look, I cover a coach that. He often comes across as a bit morose when he's not in Dave Doran. Um, So and he's gotten a lot better, but he he often will come across as being, you know, a little grouchy or down in the dumps when that's just his face. Um, So, Like I get and and I I think from what I heard from tech people, it was a mix of both. Like, yes, that's just his face, but also he seems sad and like hopeless. (laughs) <laughs> which you know to be fair in this year of our lord 2020 all, i get it we're all justin fuente right now yeah but we obviously have no idea who's playing and who's not they haven't released that um they haven't released much of anything really when it comes to their covid stuff that i know of right yeah yeah if we're talking about gambling again this is a game i'm absolutely staying away from i don't know what to make of virginia tech at all i was sort of even when things were going well during the off season, i was sort of up and down on like I don't know. They got a lot of good guys, but I don't really know if I like them as a team. And so, and now having no idea who plays and who doesn't. And then the fact that like, what do you take out of that NC state game? I mean, yeah, they ran the ball. Well, I mean, I also don't think Wake Forest was particularly good on defense and they blew two, two separate 14 point leads. And, like, was that a good game for NC state? I mean, I guess so. Cause they I won, think, but I wouldn't exactly say they played yeah. great. Well, I would say this, uh, you know, Based on what we saw from them last year, I would say oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. the thing, too, for them to come. And they came out great. Like, they played a great at the start of that football game. I mean, and I was really impressed by that because uh, the stat, Joe Giglio tweeted this out from uh, my colleague at WRAL sports fan. He said that uh, he, like, that NC State had one opening drive score all of last year, which is also an indictment of how bad last year was <laughs> yeah. for them. Yeah. Because again, like, it's like, it's like, like score an if opening you, drive. Yeah. If you set a low enough bar, then it's very easy to make people happy. And um, that is Kenny Pickett's job. It's NC State's job. And it's, I would like to think my role as well that, uh, just disappoint, 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 come through mediocre. People are like, yeah. oh, good job, good job. Yeah, I mean, I but I was impressed. And they and the thing is, th- that's a typical game NC State loses traditionally with the scenario that was playing out the way it did, you know? And NC State fans were bracing for it, and it didn't happen. And that in itself, I thought, was a positive. Um, and like I said, I was just impressed with how well they came out. You know, I mean, they hadn't played yet. Wake had. And they looked very much like the better prepared team. And yeah. I was, you know, I was impressed with that. And considering all the staff turnover they've had to, um, and some of their plenty of their own COVID issues as well with guys being held out. I was really impressed by that, honestly. Um, yeah. I, I w- again, I wouldn't necessarily walk away and say they played great. No, I mean, I didn't, I didn't consider ranking them or anything. Well, you rank UTSA, so who knows? Uh, But no, I thought they, I thought it was an encouraging performance, if not a end all be all great performance. Yeah. I think what it showed me is that if they can stay healthy, like last year was the opposite of that, but if they can stay healthy, their offense is going to be more than competent enough um, to score some points. And if they can get things short up a little bit defensively, they have some pieces that are, that are, 
pretty good pieces. And I love Dave Doran's honesty. He's like, yeah, the defense had its issues, but you didn't see guys just running by our DBs like they did last year. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Again, low, low standards. Right. I'm just, you know, and I was like, brutal honesty, but also true. Um, That did not happen nearly as often as it did. But yeah, so I, like you said, I have no idea what to expect from Virginia Tech. We don't even know who's going to play. I tried to analyze this game like in an honest way. And I was just like, I don't know. I don't know because I don't know who's playing. Like, that's kind of important. And, you know, I guess their defense will look pretty similar, I would assume, from what Bud Foster did, even though they replaced him. That's yeah. Is there a more like under discussed what should have been in any normal year big story no, this offseason? I could barely find anything about it because I'm like, I, I was even like trying to look up. I'm like, I'm guessing because I know Bud approved of the, you know, of the of Justin Hamilton and was was on board with it. And I guess they're running Bud's defense sort of with some tweaks. That's the best I could really glean from it. I, <laughs> yeah, I, it's it's very fascinating because, I mean, it's sort of be like, uh, you know, I don't even know what to compare it to. Like, what what is something that is like utterly great for two decades and then just like goes away and people aren't like, oh, you know, that's that's gone. That's not like, I, I don't even, I, I genuinely don't even know like a good comparison because, and part of it is just, I'm sure like if we were having a normal year, like there would have been a ton of Bud Foster isn't here any more stories over the summer and leading into the season, but it's just, you know, yeah, uh, it took a pandemic to overcome the Bud Foster narrative. It it took a pandemic. That's 2020 college football in a nutshell. Um, all right, David, I'm going to get you out of here. You can find David at what is it? A real David Hale joint? Yeah. Hey, David Hale joint. Dang it. See, I and I always I do this when I talk to at you. It'll be like the old Ghostbusters cartoon where there was Ghostbusters <laughs> and then there was the real Ghostbusters. So I hope there's not some other guy out there that's got like the real David Hale to join. Yeah, no, I hope not too. But uh, a, a David Hale joint for all your great statistical breakdowns of ACC football. Um, until next week, everybody. Yeah.